Galatians 3, 15 to 29. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now with the promises that were made to Abraham and his offspring, it does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean, the law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now the faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray. God, we thank you for today. Uh, we thank you for all that you have done. And I pray that at this time, as we go into this passage, that you would open up our hearts, that this word would be applicable to us today, and that we would truly understand what you are trying to say. God, I pray that you would speak through me, that your perfect words would come out of this broken vessel, and that you would just be glorified, and that we would remember all that you have done. And we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Now, uh, before I start, I just want to give a disclaimer. Uh, this passage is difficult. Uh, and what I mean by difficult is that there is a lot of information in it. Uh, it is a bit confusing at times, but my encouragement and my challenge to you is that you would stay focused through this. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You would stay focused through this, that you would um, not only hear, but you, that you would really listen right, to this. And the reason why I want to really challenge you to do that is because God, it's because Paul, he speaks so many valuable truths into our Christian walk that will affect you, not only today, not only tomorrow, but for the rest of your life. This is so important. So stay focused and let's do this together, okay? All right. Now, today's uh, sermon title is called The Promise and the Law. Here in this passage, Paul, he mentions two words again and again. And those two words are the law and the promise. In this passage here, Paul explains how these two terms are completely different, and at the same time, they are intimately linked together. And so that's all we're going to look at today. We're going to look at what is the difference between the promise that Paul talks about and the law that Paul talks about, 
and how are they linked together? In verse 18, Paul says this, For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Now, what does it mean when Paul says an inheritance that is given by the law? And what does Paul mean when it says an inheritance given by the promise? Let me give you an example. Let's say I give you a promise. I have $100. It's in an envelope, and it has your name on it, and it's in the foyer in the back. That's a promise. It's not true, by the way. But it's a promise, right, for you. What do you have to do to get it? Simple. All you have to do is believe. If you believe it, then you get it. But if you don't believe it, and if you question it and say, no, I think this, I think this guy's joking. I think this guy, he, he's known to tell some lies. I don't, I don't know about him, right? If you don't believe it, then you won't get it. That's it. That's an, that's an agreement based upon a promise. Now, if we make an agreement based upon the law, then I would say, look, I'm going to give you $100. It's in the envelope. It has your name on it. It's in the back. But I'm only going to give it to you if you clean every room in this church. Unless you do what is agreed upon, you will not receive it. See, church, in a promise contract, it all depends upon the one who gives the promise. It depends upon the promiser. It has nothing to do with the one who receives the promise. The only thing that you need to do is believe and you will receive it. And yet in a law contract, it is based upon the actions of the promisee, of the one who receives the promise. And Paul here, he is talking about both of those things and yet he makes super clear that only one will bring you life. He says that only one is the way to salvation, that only one is the road to heaven, and the other will give you death. And what was difficult about this time that Paul was trying to explain to the church is that the teachers there were trying to combine both. They were trying to say, look, you need the promise and you need the law, and in that way you will be saved. And yet what Paul is saying is that if you try to combine both, then all you're doing is focusing on the law. The false teachers in this book here, they were saying that salvation is from both the promise and the law. These teachers were saying, first, believe in Jesus Christ, second, obey the law, and then third, the result is you will be saved. But Paul says that's not the true gospel. Because the true gospel says, first, believe. Second, you are saved. And third, obedience is a result of your salvation. You see, church, the teachers here, they were saying that faith and obedience go together and they result in salvation. But Paul says, look, no, no, faith and salvation, those two go together and the result the result is obedience. 
Paul is crystal clear about this, church, and you need to be so clear about this too. Because for a lot of us, we can get a bit confused because we can say, look, isn't this the same thing as having just different denominations? Isn't it the same thing as just under one umbrella and yet we're just kind of trying to find different areas and and just these, these are two different types of Christians? But what Paul says is, no, these are two completely different religions. They work differently in people's hearts, whichever one you focus on. Whichever one you focus on, they result in different types of character. They bring out different types of attitudes. And they make you look at the world completely differently. And they make you look at God completely differently as well. And at first glance, this promise and this law, they may seem opposed to one another. And yet Paul, he never says that. Instead, he asks in verse 18 and 19, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? He says, what is the purpose then of the law? Paul is asking such an important question that many of us have as well. Look, if God saved us through faith alone, then what was the point of all the laws in the Old Testament? And for a lot of us, we look at this and we say, okay, it seems like God has like split personalities or something, that he's all about law in the beginning and then now he's all about grace afterwards. Or we think maybe did God make a mistake in the beginning and he's trying to cover that up with with grace. And yet what we believe in this church and what we believe as Christians is that every word is right and that everything in the Bible connects together. We believe in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture from the very beginning to the very end is God-breathed. And that is all good for teaching. And that these things all come together as one. And that we believe that Jesus Christ and that God do, does not make any mistake. And so the question is then, if God does not make any mistakes, if the law and the promise are meant to be together, meant to work together somehow, how does it connect? This is the question that Paul asks. And he does it by talking about three different people. The first is Abraham, and he connects Abraham to the promise. Second is Moses. And he connects Moses to the law. And third is Christ. And he connects Jesus to salvation. So let's look first at Abraham. The promise that God gives Abraham, we talked about this last week, is so much more than just children. We talked about how God promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But Paul says here that God was not only talking about children, he was promising the salvation of the world through Jesus Christ. Because we read in verse 16, it does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. God makes a promise to Abraham that salvation will come. And he does this through a covenant. Now, How does God make this covenant? 
In Genesis 15, and this is so critical to our understanding of Galatians 3 here, is that God, he tells Abraham to bring five animals, a cow, a ram, a goat, a dove, and a pigeon. And Abraham, he brings those animals, and without any prompting from God, he cuts those animals in half and then puts them in a row. And it says that he goes to sleep and this deep darkness comes over him. Now, the question is, how did Abraham know without any prompting from God to cut those animals in half? Because Abraham realized that God wanted to make a contract. Back then, the way that you made a contract was not by signing something or by having a bunch of witnesses. The way that you made a contract was by cutting animals apart and walking through them. And I know that this can sound super strange, but the reason they did this was because they were acknowledging how terrible the consequences would be of breaking that contract. That if they walked through those animals, they were saying, if I don't do what I said I will do, then may my body be cut up like these animals I'm walking through. He said, they're saying, if, if I don't complete my end of the bargain, if I don't complete what I say, then you know what? I want my body to be like this. I want my body to be cut up. I want to be completely cut off from this world. That was how contracts were made back then. So Abraham, he cuts these animals because he fully believed that God was going to ask him to walk through and make a law contract. Why wouldn't he? God had promised all of these things to Abraham. And so now the question is what does Abraham have to do next? And the Bible says that after Abraham cut these animals, he fell asleep and this deep darkness came over him. And it says within that darkness, Abraham sees this burning fire. And the Bible is strange. It says that it's this flaming torch or this smoking furnace. We don't know exactly what that means, but we do know that it was this fiery object and that it represented God. And it says that to his amazement, this fire passes through the pieces and God tells Abraham, look, I will give you the land, I will give you descendants, and I will give you the seed of Jesus Christ. Now, Abraham was absolutely amazed by this because he was saying this. God was saying, if I don't bring Jesus Christ through you, if I don't fulfill my promise, then let me be cut in half like these pieces here. R.C. Sproul, who's this famous pastor and theologian, he said it this way, God was saying, may my infinity become finite. May what's impossible become possible. May I die. May I be cut up. May I be cut off. It is the strangest and most spectacular thing that God could ever do. And no wonder Abraham was amazed by this. Because what does this mean? It means that no matter what Abraham did, 
God would fulfill his promise. It means that salvation was based entirely upon the character of God and not on what Abraham could or couldn't do. And church, there is no clearer sign of salvation than this, that it is not a two-way street. It's all God, and it's nothing on you. This is salvation, and this is the gospel, and this is what grace is. And this is what the promise of salvation means to us, church. That we can be free because God is saying, look, I will do this, I will bless you. I will give my spirit to you, I will save you. Because even if you fail, I'm not going to fail you. Because even if you're unfaithful to me, I'm still going to be faithful to you. So don't worry. Because it's not based upon what you can do. It's not based upon your sins and your past mistakes. It's not based upon your future either. It's based upon me. This is the truth of what God is saying to you. This is what salvation is, church. Do you believe this? It is not a two-way street at all. It's only God. It's Jesus Christ plus nothing. And that equals salvation. He says, even if you have sinned, my love, I have saved you. That even if I have to be killed, then I will be killed. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but do you realize years later that that came true, that God was killed. It says in the Bible that this great darkness came over the land. And it says that Jesus Christ was hanging upon a tree. And it says that in his last moments, he cries out and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it says in Isaiah that it was in that moment that Jesus Christ was cut off from the land of the living. Church, salvation is based upon the promise, is not based upon the law. It is not based upon what you have done. It is based purely upon who God is. The amount of faith that you have doesn't matter. It's who your faith is in that matters. You truly believe that. That's why in the Bible, again and again, it's not about the teachers of the law. It's not about the Pharisees or the Sadducees. It is the prostitutes. It is the tax collectors. It is that man who was hanging next to Jesus. Those were the people who were saved. They barely had any faith. They simply had faith in Jesus. Now the question that we can ask after this is if God gave Abraham a promise, then what is, what is the point of the law? What is the reason behind Moses and the Ten Commandments? What is the point of having this law if it seems like the promise that God gives seems to cancel out the law? Paul, he talks about this in verse 19 and 20. He says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. 
until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Now I want to be uh, honest here. These two verses are two of probably one of the most argued verses in all of the New Testament. It is one of the uh, most difficult uh, two verses that we can read. Uh, I was reading about this, actually. I was trying to study it to explain to you guys. Uh, But um, what what I saw was that there are over 300 uh, different nuanced interpretations of just these two verses. And today, we are going to go through each one of them. No, no, I'm I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. But what we do know here is that the intermediary that Paul is talking about here is Moses. And what we do know is that the law that he's talking about are the laws that were given to the Israelites. So there's two things that we do know. And when it says that God is one, now we don't know exactly what Paul is meaning here, but what I believe that Paul is telling the church and he's telling us is that, look, the God of Abraham, who I talked about before, and the God of Moses that I'm talking about now, you see, the God of the promise that I talked about before, and the God of the seemingly law that I'm talking about now, they are one and the same. My God is one. And so don't try to separate this and try to put God as the God of promise and God as the God of law. No, these are two of the same gods. He is my God. My God is one. That's what I believe that Paul is trying to say here. And church, what we believe is that churches, businesses, this world will always change its structure. And what we believe and what we know and we've experienced this is that leadership will always change. Pastors come and go. Leaders come and go. People in your life, they stay for a moment and they're gone the next. We can't interpret, we can't understand what will happen tomorrow. And yet what we do know, what we do know absolutely is that God is a God who does not change. Because in the Bible it says God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that he is the same God of Abraham, that he is the same God of Moses, and he is the same God who is walking in your life today. He is that same God. And so he is a God who does not change and his promises will be fulfilled. This is the truth for you to hold on to. He is a God who keeps his promises. And he is a God who has stayed faithful to you. And church, he will continue to stay faithful, no matter the circumstances. Paul is connecting the promise and the law. And Paul says the point of the law is simple. It was added because of transgressions. The law given to Moses wasn't just the Ten Commandments. What we read here is that there were laws that were referring to the tabernacle and that there were laws on how to do sacrifices to cover for their sins. These were step-by-step directions on what animals that they needed to use, on where they could sacrifice, on what they needed to do in order to atone for their sins. Church, do you hear what I'm saying? Think about that. Why would God give commands to sacrifice for their sins and at the same time give the law? The reason is because 
God knew that they could never fully keep the law. He knew it. The point of the law wasn't meant for the Israelites to obey it perfectly. The point of the law was to show the Israelites that they couldn't do it. Church, the law doesn't save us. But what the law does is expose our hearts to show how sinful we are. What the law does is expose our hearts to show that we can never reach up to a holy God. That is the point of the law. Because for us, we were dead to our sins. And yet, God came. We were empty of everything. And yet, God came. And in this book, in the book, in the Bible, it talks about this man named Hosea. And he says that he loved his wife. He cared for her. And yet every time she would run off and sleep with a man, again and again, every time she would come back, and he would forgive her again and again and again. And yet he cries out and says, why is this happening? And God looks at Hosea and says, don't you realize that this is my relationship to you? That don't you realize that you have been unfaithful to me? That don't you realize that nothing you could ever do could ever reach up to me because you have been unfaithful again and again. You are dead in your sins. And church, I know that this is so hugely unpopular in today's church, in today's culture. Because I know that a lot of churches today, they will want you to come on Sunday so that you can what, feel good about yourself and you can just be happy all the time and all that kind of stuff. And so what pastors do is they skim over these difficult truths in order to have a happy congregation. But here's the thing. You are not going to cry out for help unless you know that you are drowning. You are not going to hold on to that branch that's sticking out unless you realize that you are falling. And you will not understand the heights of what God has done for you until you realize the depths of your own sin. And this is the point of this. This is the point of the law. It is to show you that you are not good enough. It is to show you that there is nothing that you could do to reach up to him. But God did it. But God saved you. And he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to cover your sins so that when God looks at you, he looks at you through the lens of Jesus Christ. You are justified. You are set free. You are his child. Praise God for that. The promise of salvation is everything. But we will not understand the greatness of that promise until we come to terms with our own sinfulness towards him. And this is what Paul is telling the churches in Galatia. The law is not meant to be thrown away. It is not meaningless, but it is absolutely linked and it is absolutely necessary for us to understand that we cannot reach up to God on our own. Verse 23 says, Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. 
We were prisoners to the law. We served our time, and yet no matter how much we served, it was impossible to be set free. But now faith has come, and our sins have been covered. And it is through Jesus Christ that we are justified in the sight of God. This is what Paul has been saying to this church, and this is what Paul is saying to you. First is belief. Second is salvation. And then third, finally, comes obedience. Belief in Jesus Christ plus nothing equals salvation. And us striving to be more like Christ, us trying to be more holy, and us trying to be more loving is simply a result of all of that. You know, when the Great Awakening happened, it was said that the reason why so many people came to know the Lord, came to be saved, was because preachers like Jonathan Edwards, they were recovering the gospel. That's what one of the quotes said. They, they had recovered the gospel. And what was the gospel that they were preaching? That is not just love. It's not just law. It's love fulfilling the law. And then it's the law being fulfilled by love. I'm going to end with this. There are three points of application that I want to end with. First is that if you do not understand this gospel, then as much as you read the Bible, you are not going to understand it either. Abraham was pointing to salvation by promise. Moses was pointing to salvation by promise. And if you try to divide it into your own terms or separate the Old Testament to the New Testament by the law and by grace, then you will not have a full understanding of the gospel. They are intimately linked together, church. Secondly, if the gospel is truly within your heart, then you are free to fail. You are not chained by the law anymore. And you do not have to obey it perfectly. Church, your salvation is not based upon what you have done. It's based upon who God is. And look, when this is at the forefront of your heart, then you can try to obey in a way that maybe you have never done before. Because what is there to lose now? You're not trying to earn your way to salvation. You're not trying to get to heaven. Heaven has already been given to you. So love others. Be vulnerable. Pray hard and see what happens. See what happens. Be free to fail. And lastly, the promises of God will happen. There are many things that God has promised within this Bible that are true for you today. And I know that as we read this, as we go through life, it can seem daunting and it can seem like we want to give up. Do not give up. Here, God speaks to Abraham. And he says, I will give you the seed 
of Jesus Christ. But it was years later, it was generations later that it came to fruition. It may take time, but his promises always come true. So hold on to that. Persevere. Do not give up and believe. Amen? Let's pray.